Welcome to Michael Stone's podcast. This free podcast is made possible through gifts by people like you. Please consider making a donation through the donate button on the website to help us offer unique audio, video, and text-based teachings on the internet and to grow this community library. Michael's teaching bridges the gap between inner healing and social change by synthesizing traditional spiritual teachings with the insights of the West. To learn about Michael's international retreats and workshops, please visit michaelstoneteaching.com. Thank you for your support. So good evening and welcome to this Center of Gravity event. Um, my name is Karina Loth, I'm Michael Stone's partner. And that's my son in the background, so he might, I don't know, accentuate the evening here and there. <laughs> um, it's a pleasure to have such a full house tonight. It is full. Um, and for those of you that are here in person or via the internet, um, welcome. It's good to have you. Um, and it's especially an honor to have Zaketz and Norman Fisher here for this weekend. Um, a gift. Thank you for flying in. Pleasure. From the West Coast. I was going to say fresh off the plane, if that's possible. <laughs> um, Norman Fisher, for those of you that are unfamiliar with his lengthy bio, I went through it last night, and I thought I could just write about and introduce him speaking about the feeling of reading his bio, because <laughs> it's so long and decorated. But he is a poet and Zen Buddhist teacher. what happens when you teacher. live a long time. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Something to look forward to. <laughs> Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> Norman Fisher is a poet and Zen Buddhist teacher. He was the co-abbot. Am I loud enough? No. Oh, jeez. Speak up then. Norman is a poet and Zen Buddhist teacher. He was the co-abbot of the San Francisco Zen Center for many years, which is a formal kind of camp leader, if that's an unfamiliar <laughs> term. <laughs> Um, and the San Francisco Zen Center being one of the oldest and largest Buddhist organizations on the West Coast. He teaches traditional Zen and adapts Zen meditation to the worlds of business, law, conflict resolution, care of the dying, and IT of many. You can find him teaching at Google and on Jewish retreats. His Zen essays on topics ranging from racism to monasticism to family life find their way into all of the major Buddhist publications that we've all seen. He's a father and lives with his wife, Kathy, on Mid-Pier Beach, California. So he's a man of many hats, and yet no hats. <laughs> um, unless a keeper counts. There's a hat. You <laughs> should know that. <laughs> And yet, prolific, but central to his teaching, for me, feels like a dialogue with an ordinary kind of suffering that heads straight to the heart. For me, this feels like a relief. And so I hope something in that can teach and touch you, too. I met Norman for the first time a couple of years ago while going on retreat with him in Mexico. And I remember clearly getting off the plane feeling giddy with excitement, giddy to be in Mexico, going on retreat, and especially to meet Norman. And I'll never forget walking out of the baggage claim and spying my very obvious group of Buddhist comrades. They're not hard to miss and miss in an airport. And so I headed over to the group and said, hi, I'm Karina from Toronto. Very teenage and quite bouncy. And right in front of me, at my feet, squatting under a baseball hat, looked up. The first thing I noticed was really tired and really hot. And the second thing I noticed was it was Norman. <laughs> and so this kind of honesty and self-revelation is something that I really appreciate in Norman's teaching and his presence. And I hope you enjoy this talk. And if you stay with us for the weekend, I you enjoy that too. So thank you for all being here tonight, and thank you. Thank you.
Hi, everybody. Can you hear okay? Not necessarily. Okay. I'm going to try to keep my voice up like this. And uh, if, if I, my voice flags and you can't hear, just raise your, wave your hand. So far, it's all right. Okay. Uh, I really appreciate uh, being here. I, I don't, it's possible uh, that I've never been to Toronto before. And this is a really nice room, don't you think? I like this room. Nice ceiling. Nice paintings. Nice light fixtures, nice people. So this is pretty good. So far, so good. We're, we're ahead of the game. <laughs> and uh, it's lovely to uh, be here with Michael and Karina, and I really appreciated her introduction. Uh, and uh, I also remember meeting her at that retreat, and that was really a thrill for me. She's such a wonderful person. And now they have a beautiful boy. One of the great things to have a child, huh? And be able to spend a lot of time with him. So, I'm happy to be here. And I hope that everybody here <coughs> in the room is doing very well. I assume pretty much that everybody here is doing well. You all look pretty good to me. You all look healthy. And uh, I guess your lives are going pretty well. Anyway, I hope so. We're lucky, right? We all have very promising lives, very privileged lives. We're pretty lucky. I'm sure that everybody sitting here now listening to my words has already accomplished a lot in your life and you can do lots more. Everybody here has aspirations, energy, talents, skills, lots of advantages. Probably we've all been raised to think that life is pretty good and that if we apply ourselves and you know work hard, we're going to do well. Of course, things don't always go right. There's setbacks, but don't worry. We can overcome those setbacks because we're smart and we're energetic and our hard work will probably be rewarded. And if you have a good family and good friends, you have a network, a community, and that's going to help too. And, and everybody knows that there are places in the world where this is not the case, where people don't have education and energy and faith that they can accomplish something, where there's huge uh, injustice, terrible poverty, you know, bad health, no health care, violence. We all, we all know that in a lot of places in the world it's like that, and so we're all aware, I think, of our good fortune. Plus, these days, you know, everybody here knows about mindfulness, and that's even better, right? It's so helpful. Uh, practicing mindfulness, meditation, and other forms of mindfulness is going to make things even better in our lives. We'll be calmer, more aware, probably we'll even be nicer people, even more compassionate and more loving than we otherwise would be already. Also, Buddhism. Buddhism is terrific. We all know, probably everybody here knows about Buddhism. Right? It's very popular. It's very important. It's legitimate. It's almost scientific Buddhism. Right? Not superstitious and supernatural like all those other religions probably are. There's no dogma. Everybody knows this. Buddhism will work very well for us. It's going to make our lives better. Plus, if you do yoga too, <laughs> and you have like a low-carb diet, I think we're all going to be doing really, really well. Especially if every now and then we check in with our therapist. 
I think we're in good shape. So I think that all the things that I just said are true, at least as far as they go. But let's go a little further in uh, contemplating uh, the condition of our lives. And uh, if we think about it more and we're a little bit more honest, we're going to have to admit that actually it's not so easy and things don't go quite as well as advertised. For one thing, time goes by. No way to prevent this. With time, there's aging. And things get a little more dull the more you do them. Something that was once delightful and fresh, time goes by, it becomes routine. It becomes a little dull, maybe boring, possibly even annoying. You're looking for something else to do. What was satisfactory over time uh, might become unsatisfactory. This goes for our work, our career, but also sometimes our relationships. Everybody here knows it's really hard to maintain a loving and healthy relationship with another human being over time. We all know this. And the problem is that we're both human. That's the problem. We're always in a human relationship with another human being, and every human being wants what they want. Every human being is, is wounded, gets hurt, is misunderstood. There's no relationship without some conflict. There's conflict in intimate relationships, conflict among friends, acquaintances, co-workers, and there's conflict among communities, among nations, conflicts that lead to lawsuits, betrayals, broken relationships, even war, violence, endless social pain that can go on for generations. You, you can't imagine how it could ever end. It's been going on so long. And this is not unusual or exceptional. It is the rule. It is the rule all over the world. Just look at today's news, or yesterday's or the day before that, or the news on any day ever since people could talk and share news together, and you will recognize that this is the case. We all know this. Naturally, we try to protect ourselves from it. Maybe you become guarded in your human relationships. Of course, you know, you're nice and you're polite. Nobody would guess, maybe. But you're careful not to get too close, not to make yourself too vulnerable because you could be hurt. You have been hurt. Maybe more than once. Maybe you were hurt already when you were a child. And it was really terrible. You're not going to let that happen again. So far, you've never told a single person this. Because it's too intimate to share with anyone. But there it is. It's true for most of us. Maybe you're even married and have children. Even so, you're protecting yourself all the time. You don't want to be too vulnerable. You don't want to really open yourself up. And you sort of avoid the news. You try your best not to think about it. 
faraway things happening to faraway people. Can't be helped. Nothing to be done. No use dwelling on it. Because you know that if you really let yourself feel what goes on around the world every day, you would be overwhelmed. And you try, you know, you live every day, and you try not to notice time is going by, you're getting older. And the truth of the matter is, you're not really sure uh, where your life is going. And then there's the losses. The people that were in your life and now are not in your life anymore. They've gone one way or the other. Sometimes they die. Death is another problem. An unavoidable human problem. And you don't understand it. Because it doesn't make any sense. Somebody's here, and they're not. So, when people in your life become gravely ill or pass on from this world, you send flowers, you send a card. But the truth is, you can't go there. It's too damn bewildering. You really don't know what to think about it. You really don't know what to say. You have no idea what to do. So, you move on. Think about something else. Try to distract yourself somehow. Or maybe you try to help. You make soup. You know, you do transportation for doctor's visits. And you tell yourself, I'm a good person, I'm helping. But the truth is, you're doing these things because you really can't face it. It's too much. So let's do something. And there's so many things we can distract ourselves with from all this. More than ever, so much media, so many friends to keep track of on Facebook, so many posts to post on Facebook. Enormous to-do lists. Events like this to attend. Busy calendar. Full life. Daily chores. Meantime, the political, the social, the environmental, and the personal worlds are slowly collapsing. We all know this. And we all know, fundamentally, there's nothing to be done about it. Life is just this way. That's all there is to it. So I realize I'm not telling you something you don't already know. If you have any involvement with Buddhism, you know about the first noble truth. All conditioned existence is suffering. Even the pleasantness that we're seeking and often finding, even the satisfaction that we have in our lives, also has the nature of suffering. Because it doesn't last. It's not ours. We can't hold on to it. And in the end, if we're really, really honest, we recognize that it is no consolation for our deepest human problems and our dread. The Buddhist path, and I would say, never mind the Buddhist path, the human path, the path of being a human being begins with facing this reality. 
All conditioned existence has the nature of suffering. And there's no escape from this whatsoever. No life is a successful life. All worldly measures of success are false, even including the vague notion that we sometimes have of being a good person. We are sad creatures struggling on a limited planet for as long as it lasts. (coughs) Now, I'm not saying all this to depress you. (laughs) Really, I'm not trying to get everybody here depressed. Suffering is the first noble truth. It has to be digested. (coughs) It's the beginning of the path. We do have to go beyond our denial, our distraction, our avoidance, and actually grasp this point, and it isn't easy, to actually admit who we really are and what our lives actually amount to. To admit this and try our best not to be scared out of our wits. But if we can do that, the other three noble truths will come into view. There is a cause of this suffering, and there's an end to it, and there's a path that will lead us to that end. In other words, recognizing the thoroughgoingness of suffering and being willing to actually take that in will lead to a path of real, deep, and lasting happiness. This is actually possible, and it's actually doable. But we have to understand that the path to happiness does not go around suffering. It goes through suffering. Here's a poem. A thousand people contained within a lit square. Three trees silhouetted straight up branching eerily out. Ordinary clouds stream against the fluted airways. How their smoky fingers make music against the dark. Quietly, what's good descends like dust or dusk onto the milky landscapes. The people stand still and all around them the bluster of their thinking pulls down lightning from above and the platforms rattle. The owls in the trees scatter their nocturnal alarms. How decisive the universal defeat. So the good news in all this The good news about how pathetic we all are and how hopeless it all is, the good news is that it's true of all of us. It's true of every single one of us in just the same way. Think about this. You know, what is really miserable? The thing that's really miserable is the thought that you are in a mess and other people are okay. This is what's really miserable. You'd think it would be the opposite, right? You'd think it would cheer you up that other people are okay. But actually, no, it makes you more miserable. Because we feel terrible about ourselves, you know, our plight. We think, you know, we should be doing better. What's wrong with us, you know? Other people are doing better. They're doing really well. The Buddhists are probably doing really well. 
The Zen master is probably doing terrific. It's just me. What's wrong with me, you know? Poor, poor us. We're such a wreck. But this is not the case. We are all wrecks together. This is great news. Right? Because it means that we are so close to each other. We really know each other well. We are deeply, poignantly connected. It's almost heartbreaking how connected we all are as human beings. More than we could ever imagine. You know, we think we imagine, we all have imagined some kind of like intimate relationship that could happen. The relationship that we have to one another is way more intimate than we could ever imagine. And, and all the suffering of the world is not a mistake. It's not your fault. It's not my fault. It's not anybody's fault. It's not our parents' fault. It's not our ancestors' fault. It's what connects us to each other. It's what binds us to one another. If only we had, could have the courage to allow ourselves to feel the suffering and the loss fully, we would appreciate it for what it is. The nature of the world, not a mistake. The nature of how things actually are, that they're here at all, means that later they won't be. And that's the pain. And that's the love. That's the love. And that's the miracle. I mean, this world is an incredible miracle, that it exists at all, that it's bright, that it's the way it is. I mean, it's amazing that this world exists the way it does. The miracle of each and every person and every cloud and every blade of grass is exactly its suffering, which is also love. Because we're absolutely unified in that suffering as impermanent beings. One of the worst feelings, you know, is to feel utterly alone. It's one of the worst things you can feel. But it's impossible to ever be alone. There is no such thing as being alone. Maybe we feel powerless. Maybe we feel foolish. Maybe we feel lost. We don't know what to do. <clears throat> no such thing. We're here together <clears throat> in a beautiful world that is actually a miracle. And that is just as sad as it is beautiful. And it's beautiful because it's sad. And it's sad because it's beautiful. And each and every one of us is beautiful. That's right. Every person in this room is a unique unbelievable manifestation of this beauty. And each of your lives is exactly perfectly as it needs to be, no matter what you think about it. And each and every life is completely a mystery. How did it turn out this way? How could this be? Unbelievable, really a journey unfolding in the light and at an immeasurable depth. So I'm going to interrupt my talk now to uh, take a moment. Let's all take a moment. I I'm ask you to be with your breathing for a moment. Forget everything I've said and just breathe. Feel your body.
See if you can, in the breathing and in the actual feeling of your body, notice the life that animates you right now. You are alive. You don't know where that comes from. You don't know where that's going. You don't even know what it is. You completely take it for granted. But feel it now. This is life. as much as you can. Let go of your wanting and your dissatisfaction and your feeling of lacking something or even your feeling of being you. Forget it. Just feel life. Just be breathing and presence. And now, keeping this silence and this feeling, open up your eyes and look around the room. In front of you, to either side of you, behind you, and look at the human beings in the room. And see, you can see the beauty in each and every one. Just take a look. It's pretty obvious. It's right there. Just look around. A room full of perfect, beautiful people. Now let's take a few minutes, maybe three or four minutes. And I want you to turn to somebody next to you and talk to them. Maybe you can start by shaking hands and saying what your name is. And I'd like you to talk to that person for, you know, a couple of minutes, three, four minutes, five minutes at the most, and just tell that person what you're thinking right now. What's going on for you right now? For, for instance, you know, maybe some of you looked around the room and saw a room full of beautiful people. Maybe others of you thought, what the hell is he talking about? This is such baloney. You know, what is going on here? I do not uh, get this. And furthermore, I don't approve of it. <laughs> if that's what you're experiencing, let's just say so. In other words, the most important thing is just let's say, right now, I'm a human being and this is what's going on. And if you don't feel like doing it, you can just listen to the other person and say, thanks, but I'd rather not speak because I don't want to force anybody to speak. But let's take, go ahead, find, find somebody to talk to and talk for about five minutes. Oh, 
talk a little bit more and then we'll take a break and we'll have a chance to discuss. But that looked lively. I got to talk to somebody too that I haven't seen in 15 years and it was nice. Yeah. People are nice. It's nice to talk to people. It's very interesting. You never know what somebody's thinking. It's always surprising. You have an idea what they're thinking. It's usually something else. So anyway, like I've been saying, yes, life is tough. It is. It's always been tough. But somebody could make a case that it's tougher now than ever. 
Because now we think we're facing our human limits, our planetary limits. And, and you know, the problems we face in regard to this are absolutely overwhelming. And we don't even have this much political will to even start. If we started tomorrow and the entire world were unified in this, we would still have a major problem. But we don't even have an ounce of political will to even start, which everybody knows. Everybody in the world knows this, even though we try not to think about it. And that's why I am absolutely convinced that it is impossible for any of us to go on with our usual way of living and our usual way of viewing our lives. I am 100% convinced that everybody now needs to be serious spiritual practitioner. Everybody needs a strong spiritual vision for their lives. I'm not saying everybody has to be a Buddhist or even be in any religion. That's really not the point. <clears throat> the point is we need an alternative, powerful vision for our lives beyond the usual ideas of success and failure and beyond our limited materialist point of view. And everybody needs to do what it takes to develop and sustain such a vision. To me, this is nothing fancy. This is just a practical necessity. I myself, I can't imagine how I could get through you know, the next week without something like this in my life. Who could get along without it? And the essence of this view, I think, is love and compassion. That's the main point. When you face a difficulty alone, alone, it's overwhelming. Face that same difficulty in the company of many others whom you love and respect and who love and respect you and who you know will help you somehow and that you're willing to help. That same difficulty with that situation is now inspiring and it brings out the best in us. And it makes us happy, even when we're in the midst of difficulty. So to me, it's so clear that we all need to find a path to love and compassion. Radical love and compassion. And that begins, as I was saying before, with accepting suffering and connecting to one another through the suffering. Accepting difficulty not as something to be avoided, not as a mistake, or a problem to be solved, but as a challenge and a natural consequence of this beautiful life, an opportunity for more love, more compassion, more connection to others, and more liberation from the narrow confines of our own little lives and our own little points of view. Our life can be very small, and it can be very large, depending on our point of view. In Buddhism, they call this view bodhisattva view. Bodhisattva is a being who is utterly and completely devoted to trying to understand life at its depth for the purpose of being with, loving, and benefiting others. And bodhisattvas make extravagant vows to practice forever and ever and ever, not just for one measly little tiny human lifetime, but for endless, measureless human lifetimes to love others and try to be of some benefit over and over and over again. Bodhisattvas are constantly being knocked down by difficult circumstances and they bounce right up as soon as they're knocked down. They're like the Energizer Bunny only with infinite battery life. <laughs> on and on and on they go. Undaunted by the immensity of the job they are undertaking. Not, not only not discouraged by the immensity, but thrilled by it. Ecstatic with it. 
using whatever difficulties come along as a way of deepening the love and the compassion. And there's no end to the deepening. No end to the joy that comes from this. So this might sound like pie in the sky, wishful thinking. And yes, probably when you project yourself from your limited point of view to that view, it does sound a little like a cartoon. A pleasant cartoon, but a cartoon. But it is not a cartoon. It's actually doable. It's realistic, and it's normal. This is human capacity. This is normal for human beings. My guess is that there's everybody in this room has known one or more bodhisattvas. That person who was or is constantly caring and giving, not blown around by life's winds, but keeps on going with a good spirit no matter what, trying to take care. Probably, for most of us, it was our grandmother. But you all know people who do this, who seem to have that kind of spirit. People like this do exist. And each of us can be one of them. And there is a path. It takes time, it takes effort, yes. To be honest, it will take you the rest of your life and lifetimes to come. It's not a weekend course or a four-year degree. You don't come to the end of it so that you can go on to other things. There are no other things. So now I'm going to get really practical. This is very concrete, okay? Here's what you have to do. You have to have a practice, a daily practice. My practice is silent sitting, like we were doing a moment ago. But it could be something else. It could be prayer. It could be chanting. It could be some other form of daily spiritual practice. But this is not just private affair, right? You should go to a place like Center of Gravity or some other place where other people are sharing this vision. And once in a while, sit down with them and practice with them. Because it's not just you. It's not private. You may practice regularly on your own because it's too much trouble to go to some place all the time. But you should go regularly so that you can be in the presence of other people, encouraging them by your presence and letting their presence encourage you. And realize that this practice is not something that you're doing for your life, that it is your life. So in other words, don't do it as like, because if it's another good thing that you're doing, you won't do it, because you don't do good things for yourself. This is your life. Find another, another thing you need to do is make contact with a spiritual teacher, someone who you feel shares and embodies this view, and you have to maintain a relationship with that teacher. In your heart, maybe, most, mostly, but also, whenever you can, face-to-face with that person for encouragement and loving support. And you need to go to a long retreat of some kind, once a year. And you need to listen to talks and study teachings, maybe even if you're in a place where There are rituals that can be practiced. That's good. And especially, above all, all these things will support you to pay attention in your daily life, every day, to the way you speak, the way you think, the way you treat other people. Pay attention. Study your own mind and see how much more happiness and joy and energy and delight there is when there's more compassion and more love, and how when you distance yourself from other people, it creates separation and pain and trouble for you. And when you start seeing that, you begin to change. And if you do these things, or whatever 
parts of them you can do in your life and you stick with them with some discipline I will pretty much guarantee I'm guaranteeing <laughs> that you will feel eventually it won't take that long that you're in a new life a different life with different possibilities that you are in a life that's about love and compassion. You are in a life that's a bodhisattva life. And the reason why I'm so confident of this is because I know a lot of people who do just this. People who have families and busy lives and responsible, responsible jobs and so on and so on, but do these things and report to me that they feel this way. So it is very, very doable. And you know what? It's not that difficult. To tell you the truth, it's a lot easier than not doing it. It's a lot easier than not doing it. So uh, the book that I'm going to be presenting in our weekend retreat, Training in Compassion, Zen Teachings on the Practice of Lojong, is all about this. It's, it's based on an Indo-Tibetan uh, text called Seven Points of Mind Training, which outlines seven key points with 59 practice slogans distributed over the seven points to give us some tools to develop this vision and this sense of our lives. And, and those of you who will be with us all weekend, we're going to go through as many of the seven points as we can. We're going to bring up some of my favorite slogans and practice with them so that you can get a feeling for how this practice works and that you'll be inspired, I hope you will anyway, to continue it in some way. The main thing is continuing to practice. <clears throat> I mean, imagine having a practice that you have confidence in. No matter what happens, however terrible it may be, you know but if you can practice, you'll be able to change your heart in relation to that thing that's happening. You'll be able to find a way to take it in, appreciate it, understand it, transform it, do something with it, and support others, even when you're having a hard time. Continuing to practice. That's the thing. Why don't we take a little stretch break, uh, five minutes, move around, and then we can sit down again and talk some more. Okay? Thank you very much.